ladies and gentlemen, we're going to take you all the way down in New Orleans this time. Competition is Ladies and gentlemen, welcome. It is Wednesday, and that means just one thing. It means Ross Jackson from Canal Street Chronicles is joining me for the Dome Patrol, our weekly look at the New Orleans Saints and everything going around with the black and gold. Training camp starts today. Man. Training camp starts today. So after all this, (laughs) we have reached the beginning. Yes. Of whatever this season is going to be. <laughs> Everything that happened before was a mere precursor to what is now just the beginning of training camp. So <laughs> it's wild, dude. <laughs> we have Camp Peyton. Yes. At the, at the Lowe's <laughs> Hotel. And not everybody's there. Mm-hmm. Um, we know some guys stayed home. Um, but what would you expect? Let's just start from that because there's some very interesting things about this, this, the bubble that Sean Payton is doing and the attention that it's getting not only here but nationwide now. Yeah. So just in your expectation, I would assume that at least we're talking at least 70% of the players would end up staying in there. Yeah, yeah, and that's what it sounded like from uh, what Coach Payton uh, mentioned not too long ago in terms of the number of people that they have there. They have a good portion of the players are there and a large portion of staff are also staying there as well. So you have to remember, it's not just the players that are affected by this, it's staff, it's coaching, it's essential workers that are there for facilities purposes, things like that. Like it is a large population that makes training camp go. And a large portion of them, from what I'm understanding, are staying at what I'm calling, by the way, the Lese Le Bonton Buble. Um, that's what I'm calling it. Okay. okay. <laughs> the bubble. Not <laughs> um, the good times bubble. Let, All right. The good times bubble. Uh, but yeah, I mean, like they, you've got a large portion of people that are staying there and a, a much larger percentage of them are than aren't. But some of them, you know, they've got kids at home. You've got, you know, Kate Nellis is a good example. They, you know, he and his baby not too long ago so he has a newborn still an infant and so you have you know a lot of the you know Taysom Hill was back at home the other day building a crib for his you know for their baby that's upcoming and everything so you know you you still see these guys going back home every now and then to take care of their families but you know the way that coach Payton had described it is that you've got about 170 people there between staff players coaches everything and you're not getting to the point where you have 170 people all going their own separate way and going home and then coming back with a different story. You have, you're, you're minimizing that. And that's right. really what the goal of this bubble is. Um, we saw um, in the episode of hard knocks yesterday mm-hmm. um, where you had both teams. The, it's really the first day was first episode was generally just about how these teams are addressing COVID-19. And we saw mm-hmm. some of the testing procedures as players came in, we saw these outdoor tents set up for meetings so that you could have some space and get some airflow, but you can clearly see the players are still, there's some trepidation on their faces as they do this. And then mm-hmm. when both where you have Anthony Lynn tell his team, I had it. Right. And they didn't know that. And, right. <laughs> and then you find out that, uh, um, uh, Peterson up in, in Philly also had it. Mm-hmm. It's this is going to be awkward each day, just walking into the building and having to check that part of it 
out of your mind. You really are putting your faith in this. And then you go about doing the work of being a professional football player. Yeah. And we also saw, um, was it uh, the defensive end, I believe, Terrell Lewis? Yes. Uh, from, of the, the Rams, we saw, you know, the whole process of him testing positive and then being sent home. And, you know, he was on, they, he said, they got me on that 10 day. Uh, so, <laughs> so, you know, he's away from the program and everything for right now. And, and just getting a look at the fact that we're just now getting into the point to where helmets are involved. Mm-hmm. Right. For the 12th and 13th. And then for the 14th and 16th, you can you can wear shells with the 15th off. And then on the 17th, then you can get started with a total of 14 padded practices over the course of three weeks. Ten days is a huge portion of that. It's a humongous portion of that. And if you're a roster bubble guy, that could be a job. And what what control do you have over that? That you showed up for work and tested positive for COVID-19. And now you're losing out on potential millions of dollars, depending upon what the situation is. It is it's a it's a wild situation for a lot of people. And the other thing that was really interesting to hear throughout all that was Anthony Lim when he was talking to, as well as um, oh I can't remember the uh, the GM's name, starts with uh, oh, T Tom Telesco. Okay, Tom Telesco when they was when they were talking to players when they were making the cuts. Every single player they were telling them, look, we're gonna lose players throughout the season. People are gonna get sick. People are going to, you know, there's always that with, with injury, but now there's like, like an assured uh, to it that's not usually there. And that they're saying, just hang tight and stay in game shape because we're going to call the guys that we know best. You know the system. You've been with us over these last few weeks. You've learned the install. So when somebody gets sick, we'll call you, you know, and it's, it's just a very different world that these players have to navigate, that these coaches have to navigate. It's very, very different. And um, I, I could see why the trepidation is there for sure. Yeah, and you think about it, like you said, as these guys get cut and you look at what practice squads get filled out at eventually, mm-hmm. and then as there will probably be players during this, this is there's no preseason, we'll just call it training camp period. And I think that you're throughout the season, that pool of talent is going to have to continue to be replenished of available players. Cause I think there will mm-hmm. be opt outs once the season starts. We've seen still another player baseball just yesterday says I'm not playing. And yep. I think that those, those changes, whether from external pressures or internal realities, um, teams are going to have to be extremely flexible and those guys, again, I think that when you talk about the makeup of the Saints roster, the fact that you have versatility, the fact that you have experience is going to be so important um, over the course of this season. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's something that Sean Payton has stressed for years and years that only that now just gathers more importance, right? The idea of one guy being able to fill multiple roles as a piece of depth. You look at somebody like Nick Easton, who all of a sudden his value is even greater than it was before as he's somebody that can play anywhere on the interior. You look at a guy like Calvin Throckmorton, who they made sure they went out and got as an undrafted free agent, gave him, I think, the second most guaranteed, second highest guaranteed total amongst undrafted free agents this year for for the team. Uh, He's somebody that has played every single offensive line position. And we've seen offensive linemen, defensive linemen disproportionately withdrawing from the NFL, as we sort of expected uh, Mm -hmm. with the conversations we've had in the past. And so those are positions that, are going to be very important. And those guys that can be versatile, the Will Claps of the world, the, the Patrick Omame, you know, the uh, Cameron Tom, who's coming back off of injury this year that the Saints really like, those players are going to be vital to the team's success because 
this was another thing that uh, Anthony Lynn said that we've actually heard coach Payton acknowledge as well is that it might come down to just who's the healthiest team by the end of all yep. of this in terms of who's going to be, you know, the best, I'll just say the best, I'm not going to say Super Bowl champion because we also have to extend the season that long. We have to get there to that yes. point, but still in terms of just being the best team in the NFL, it might come down to simply being the healthiest and to an extent being the luckiest. Yeah. Um, because we're seeing from this bubble that Sean Payton is creating this, you were seeing some teams, most teams have not created any type of situation like that. The Dallas Cowboys are kind of experimenting, but that was the players doing that themselves. We still don't have these uniform protocols for training camp, uh, for residency, for um, making sure you don't have any contact tracing, things like that, which are, are critical. Um, I, th- I still think the league has to continue to push forward on securing this so there is the opportunity to get started because you could mess this up over the next two to three weeks and be in position to where you're delaying the season even further. Yeah, I mean, we're about to embark on a a whole new level of this once contact is involved because, you know, staying distant from one another and wearing masks. I mean, you saw, I I felt like the Chargers were far more proactive about wearing their masks than the Rams were uh, (laughs) as we were watching hard. Anthony Lynn ain't playing. He is not. He is not. And, you know, it was one of the things that he said that I thought was great was that, like, you know, there might be one team that does this better than 31. So why can't why not us? Right. And that's that's it. Right. You have to. There's so much more than just the game of football on the field this season. There's the the social contract that has to be made amongst all of these players to also take care of themselves and thereby each other when they're not in the facility, when they're not at the game. You know, you heard a lot of players talking about I go to practice, I go home. Or even before the you know, before training camp got underway and they were able to report to the facility, they were saying, I worked out with one person the entire time and then I went home and that was it. And we got Uber Eats and we're fine. Like that, that type of social contract is going to be really important amongst teams and the teams that can hold that to one another. And, that, and that's going to come down to respect for one another. That's going to come down to simply liking one another. Like there's so many, there's so many pieces of that fabric that have to be woven together in order to create sort of this blanket understanding amongst everybody to, to maintain that and therefore maintain each other's health. And so I think that that's going to be, you know, a huge portion of what's, what's really important about all of this as well. Um, and, uh, you know, look, coach Payton has done a very good job at creating a culture within the new Orleans saints that we don't, you know, that isn't replicated across the NFL. And I think that that's going to be a big, say a big advantage for them going in. It doesn't make it foolproof. It doesn't no. make it guaranteed. You know what I mean? But it's, it definitely gives them a little bit of an advantage going into the season. So there's something that I wanted to talk to you about because I think mm-hmm. it's, it's really relevant to this. Um, had you read about the spring football league and yes. their bubble? Mm-hmm. I find this to be a very interesting concept. Yeah. Uh, 16, for those who don't know, six teams playing in October nine games between October 17th and 28th. It's a tournament style format. So don't think that each teams are, these teams are playing nine games a piece in right. 11 days. It's a tournament style format. It's mostly players who have been released by NFL teams along with about 20 to 30 college players who either had uh, their seasons canceled or opting out. They're creating their own bubble, 228 players, 38 players per team, all staying in the same hotel in, practicing at the same facility. 280 total personnel per team. They're banning huddles, which I think is a really interesting thing to do. Right. Because now, I think especially for those young players, what you're doing is 
you are increasing pace, which I think is a good thing for young players to get those reps. You don't have to run up-tempo no huddle, but what I think you're doing is, okay, we get to the line. Now everybody is making their adjustment. I've called Mm -hmm. two plays from the sideline. You're asking your quarterback to read the defense, make his adjustment, call, have the line do theirs. I think that's a really interesting thing to do and experiment with during this pandemic. And the other part, they're only keeping 19 players on the sideline while play is going on. The other 19 are going to be either in the tunnel or in another part of the the, the Mm -hmm. stadium. And then they come on when it's their time to play. That is creating some type of social distancing that you can manage on an NF, on a, on a sideline. You can have guys apart. You can still speak directly to players and be heard. I think mm-hmm. these are things that the NFL they'll be playing right as the NFL is really getting going. I think there's going to be a great contrast to see what the security measures and how. Or they're also bringing in the uh, the uh, tents and the yep. to, to, to yep. come in and, and detoxify folks. All mm-hmm. those things. And they're doing this internally. They don't have money outside at this point. They're hoping to recoup it from television. But this is an internally funded, basically, experiment with a football bubble. Yeah, and I, I love it. I love every second of it. And we've had conversations before here where we talked about, you know, how do you social distance on the sideline when you've got, you know, 46 actives and then, you know, uh, however many inactives or seven inactives over on the other, you know, on the sideline and everything on and on each sideline at that, plus all the coaching staff, plus, you know, this, that, and the other. And I think that this is a really creative way to figure it out. You get them back in the locker rooms where they can still see play that's happening. Right. So if you still have you know, a backup quarterback that wants to watch so that when his quarterback comes off the field, they can have a conversation, can still do that. Like you're not going to lose that connection. You're just not watching and putting yourself in a potential, let's just call it what it is, a potential risk. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so um, I like this a lot. I think that it's really interesting. I was I was very excited reading it because, you know, we've talked about the XFL in terms of, you know, can they get up in time and take advantage of, you know, giving these opportunities to these young students. And the thing that I also like about this in terms of the tournament style and nine games and, and over the, the, the six teams is that you're creating a, a season that's short enough that these guys that maybe were going to be draft eligible that want to work their stock up a little bit can go out and show something and then have some time before they're expected to get drafted and then get involved in offseason activities. I think that's the thing that is sort of causing the biggest holdup of the idea of collegiate spring sports and, or moving football to collegiate spring is because then you end up taking these guys immediately out of their season, putting them into the combine draft prep draft and then they're into OTAs and offseason activities and that's not going to be valuable for any NFL team and that's certainly not healthy for those players that don't have pro level conditioning yet you know they get to the NFL and have to learn that speed that's a big part of their transition and uh, yeah I think that it just creates a little bit more of a let me say sustainable um, environment for these these you know cats that might still be looking to come into the NFL because they are pulling from these college, you know, these colleges that have canceled, postponed, or players that have opted out, it still gives them an opportunity to go put something out on tape and then get the rest and preparation that they need for the combine draft in the NFL. And then those guys who have been cut, you're still playing. Mm-hmm. And like you said, when when coaches are anticipating losses of players, those guys are going to get good looks they because they've it. been mm-hmm. playing. Right. And there's going yeah, to be stayed in football shape. There's yeah. no question. <laughs> so, I mean, yeah, the level of competition, we're not sure about, but if you're saying 
it's mostly guys who've been cut. Well, then, okay, we know approximately these are guys who sh- are on at least on the border of being NFL players. Right. And these 20 to 30 college athletes, they're not going to invite guys who didn't have a, a decent draft grade coming in. Something right. of, that says – you're draftable. I can take it guys, you know, reserves who haven't taken a snap yet. Right. So, and I think that that it is going to be attractive to a number of players, particularly, I think you're going to see a mass exodus and college football is going to have to deal with this because they, they don't have any rules in place for any of this right now. Right. But I think you're going to see a mass exodus from like the big 10 because you can't play a, jan- a football season starting in January in Wisconsin, right. Minnesota, Michigan. Oof. You can't do Oof. it. You cannot oh. do it. <laughs> I don't even I mean, want to think about that. I know what those winners are like. <laughs> right. And, and and we talk about, you know, you get excited every once in a while in January when it's snowing in Green Bay. That's that's one game. Yeah. Maybe yeah. two. When it's we'll, we'll take a couple of snow. Yeah. Nobody wants to play 11 snow games. No, that's a and, good point. And, I mean, who? who? And then you're talking, you're talking about all the things that colleges have to deal with with recruiting. We're talking about all the things the college is going to have to deal with with transfers. Because mm-hmm. what if I want to transfer now because my season has moved till right. my immediately eligible early grad guys from high school who'd like to yeah. enroll in the spring. Man, every college football is in no way prepared to no, deal with this stuff. And it's going to be a huge fight between all of those conferences because you know, the conferences that start in the fall are going to say, why are you penalizing us? We started and the conferences that play in the spring say, why are you penalizing us? We took precautions to keep our players safety safe. So I think it's, that's going to be a big fight and it spills over into the NFL. Like Mm -hmm. you said, when we talk draft evaluation for next season, when you start talking about um, whether or not teams can be prepared adequately because positions of need, Guys who may become available, who choose to stay, guys you expected to be on the board, who may right. get a fifth year of eligibility, man, everything is gonna is, is going to be. They're just dominoes waiting to fall. Yeah, those guys end up putting you. I mean, look when you look at what it is that you end up with. For let's just look at look at it from the Saints' perspective, right? Mm-hmm. The Saints individually, just out of the Big Ten over the past three years, have drafted from Michigan, Ohio State, and Wisconsin. <laughs> you know, three of the biggest schools in those programs, and schools that have a system that NFL teams like enough to not only draft their players but draft them high, and then also have them immediately be a part of their team, right? Have them immediately be contributors. Look at the Ohio state players that have come through uh, new Orleans just right now, Michael Thomas. And then you've got uh, Von Bell, who of course isn't with the saints anymore, but was there as a four-year starter over his rookie deal. You've got Marshawn Lattimore as your starting corner. Uh, Malcolm Jenkins is back. <laughs> like, you know, you have all of these Buckeyes that have come through uh, and that have been a part of this team. You have, you know, Wisconsin with Zach Bond and now they're starting perennial all pro right tackle and Ryan Ramchek. Uh, you know, we'll see what happens with Zach Bond. And then we'll also see what happens with uh, Cesar Ruiz, who they spent a first round draft pick on this year. So, and they moved up for Zach Bond to go and grab him. So they like those programs and a lot of uh, look, uh, SEC and big 10, like a lot of college programs, I'm sorry, a lot of uh, NFL clubs like those programs because there are pro style programs within those conferences and therefore good fits. So when you look at just the big 10 in, in and of itself, not having any evaluation on those players for a 2019, I'm sorry, for a 2020 season ahead of a 2021 draft, that can cause some issues for teams. And in particular, the Saints who like to draft from that, from those programs and from that conference and from that play style. And the other part that you have to look at with all of that is that, you know, how prepared can a team be coming into this? Now, the Saints already don't value draft picks 
no. the same way that other teams do. No, they, they will don't. trade away an entire day's worth of draft picks to draft a tight end out of Dayton. Like they have no problem doing all of that. Uh, so that does speak in their favor because they might go in with a big board like everybody else. But they're also going to go in with five. If we got, if we get three of these guys, we're out, we're good. We're done. We'll focus on a draft of free agency and they're not going to have a ton of holes to fill, you know, as they've, as they've continued to, to have uh, throughout the season, depending upon how the, uh, to the, the revenue adjustment affects mm-hmm. the team and affects those positions. So we'll see exactly how that works out. But, you know, if they don't have a ton of spots, they feel like they need to fill in the draft immediately, then it does put them in a better position. But I think you're going to watch a lot of teams in the 2021 draft, at least as of now projecting forward, things may change, but projecting forward from this point, you might see a lot of teams that are drafting guys that are, that they still consider their first round guys, but they might be developmental projects. Yep you know, for that year. And then 2022 is really where you see that class really start to step in and get playing time. Quarterback class is going to be the biggest thing affected Mm -hmm. because so many quarter, when you look at the PAC 12 in particular, Yep. you know, every year you're talking about, you know, Oregon, USC, Mm -hmm. you know, UCLA, we're seeing, I mean, these are where where a lot of quarterbacks come from in that PAC 12 because of, like you said, those pro style Passing right. offices, offenses. Washington has produced quarterbacks. Washington, you know, I mean, it's it's a conference that produces a lot of quarterbacks. Mm-hmm. So I think it's going to be very interesting in judging these. This is where that opportunity exists for some some folks to kind of come in and say, "Well, I'm just going to develop some quarterbacks." I mean, right. if I'm a, if I'm a quarterback guru, I'm trying to get kids out of school as fast as I can and say, "Look, mm-hmm. if you're not going to play, man, you got to work on these skills." Yeah, and, 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 and it, it, it'll be interesting to see how many players actually go back to school that are draft eligible this time around. Cause you think about Travis Etienne, for instance, the mm-hmm. uh, running back out of Clemson who decided to go back this season at the ACC for whatever reason cancels their season. What do you go back for? He would have been a first round draft pick or at least a, an early second round draft pick as a running back, hard to call him a first round draft pick, but you know, he would have been a high draft pick for at his position. He would have been a hot commodity, right? You look at some of the other players that went back this season, right? Are you going to see players now that are immediately eligible just dive right into the NFL landscape if they feel like they're draftable as opposed to saying, well, you know, this year I'm a six-round draft pick. If I go back, maybe next year I could be a third-round draft pick. And, you know, that's a better paycheck for my family. Instead of making that decision, do they just say, or if I go back, another pandemic can hit at any time. And so this isn't, you know, this isn't great. Or whatever the ripple effects from, whatever this season looks like is moving forward, right? How does this, how does the, the revenue uh, that's being lost by these schools, how does that affect their program? How does that affect certain things? So you might see a lot more players that are more willing to say, you know what, if I'm on somebody's board, I'm on somebody's board, I'm going. What also uh, would be interesting to me is let's say if college football has to, they decide as a whole, we're mm-hmm. all going to spring mm-hmm. and players are just like, Mm-mm, I'm not doing that. Right. You know, like you said, the guys – and there's you have juniors, seniors, whatever, guys who are ready to go. Could you envision – and this would be really hard, but if you have this large number of players suddenly available on the market, could you see something like a supplemental mm. draft during the season to disperse these players? Because even in the NFL's best interest, if, if they've left school, do you want these guys who, who are commo- potential commodities to your teams sitting around for another eight to 10 right. months? Or do you create some special exemption this year to let teams pull one or two supplemental picks to, out of this to reinforce their rosters? 
Yeah, you could see that. You could see them push the NFL draft back. Uh, Roger Goodell within the CBA has the power to move the draft up as early as mid-February and then back as late as June 2nd without having to get any type of NFL PA vote or approval or anything like that. So you could see the draft move. You could see that kind of a supplemental approach. They ended up canceling the supplemental draft this year uh, mm-hmm. just simply because of the, the way that the, the season worked out. But now you're, you might be looking at a reverse next year to perhaps a supplemental draft at some point right before the season or at some point you know, right before training camp or like you mentioned during the season that allows these teams to add to their, add to their core without, like you mentioned, having these guys on ice for a year and a half <laughs> before it's time for them to, uh, to come back to the league, which can be just as dangerous as, you know, pushing them to, do it, to, to come into the NFL immediately after finishing a spring season. So it'll be interesting to see exactly how it is and what it is that they figure out is going to be movable. You know, does, if the draft pushes back, that then affects rookie minicamps, it affects OTAs, it affects, you know, training camp. But at least for the NFL, thanks to this year, there's a precedent for something like that. They can build a schedule off of what they agreed upon this year, ideally outside of a pandemic by then, ideally, uh, and then end up, you know, making adjustments to their offseason schedule with what they know they can achieve via Zoom, via virtual meetings and everything up until it gets to a certain point with these with, with these specific uh, uh players that are coming in from college, you know, at least there's a precedent now and sort of a structure things back. If that ends up being the case where they need to delay the NFL draft for any reason. The last issue I'll do on this before we move on is something that Mm -hmm. I'm just thinking of. There's also an opportunity for a legal challenge to free agency here, Mm. because if you're a college athlete and I'm coming out and I'm not part of a draft class because my season has been canceled officially, you know, could I go to court and say, I want to be declared a free agent? Yeah. That, I think that that is something that will be explored because this is the time. You see what's yep. happening, that players are challenging the system in ways that they never have. And that, to me, is a potential vulnerability created by this situation because we've seen guys want to test the league on the draft and, mm-hmm. and go after it. This is another one of those situations where I'm ready to work there's nowhere else for me to go because college football isn't here. Why can't I go work? Yeah. And I think that that's a very basic legal argument. Yeah. It's a really good point. I mean, if nothing else, if the club holds, you know, now that tryouts are permitted by the NFL, if the club holds a local day and you see some of those Ohio state players that could otherwise be drafted say, you know what, I'm going to go make my money now because I've got, what am I waiting for? And then they go and they, you know, get their local day tryouts with the Cleveland Browns, the Cincinnati Bengals, you know, that's one way in through it or just challenging. And then you give these rookies that are coming into the NFL as free agents, you give them a lot of power because all of a sudden they can choose where they want to go as opposed to being drafted. And then how does that have the ripple effect moving forward for other, because, you know, in that case, how many, how do you address in the future draft prospects that say, I don't want to go into the draft. I just want to be a free agent and I want to go and try out for teams mm-hmm. and everything. So it's, it's, it, it would certainly cause, uh, that's a big conversation that I don't think the NFL is ready to have, but I agree. I think it's something that can absolutely be on the way. It's just, it, it's just right now. So many things are fluid. Every question leads to another question. It, it just, it's, it's hard to get anything and put a period at the end. Right. And so all these options are going to be on the table and it's just going to, to me, it's, I'm really interested to see how this plays out because I think 
we are looking at the most dramatic potential shift in American sports since Jackie Robinson integrated right. baseball. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it could be that big because we're talking about the structure of college sports possibly changing forever. Yep. And then we're talking about um, the structures of these major leagues all yeah. in and the next year or so, except for football. Yeah. That's the great point, though, because, you know, we're talking about it within the context of the NFL. But, you know, if you have these guys that are coming out of college and say, you know, these young you know, I, I, these prospects coming out of college saying, I want to be a free agent and I want to enter. How does that then translate to the NBA? How does that then translate to these other, you know, the NBA, I think is already starting to move away from the NCAA, starting to distance themselves from the Mm -hmm. NCAA process anyway. And so, you know, how many of these other leagues end up becoming affected by what these collegiate players do with what we're watching right now with the NFL? It doesn't stop at just one league. No, I think, I think again, you could get players from across those sports you could get a basketball player, a football player, whomever, and they come together and say, we just want to mm-hmm. challenge the entire legality of the draft itself in any right. sport. I could see those challenges all coming. And what happens to me is like, if you're these leagues and all these lawsuits or all these actions are coming from so many sides, there's only so many battles you can fight. So something right. is going to have to be conceded at, at, at eventually. So yeah. I'm real. The legal stuff is almost as interesting to me, yeah, as what is. is going to happen on the field on this year. Mm. I'm, 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 I mean, it's crazy. Mm. Talk about ripple effects, <laughs> bruh. <laughs> bruh. All right, let's go back to camp. We know the change for the players, mm-hmm. but there's also a huge change for the media in how camp is going to be covered. We have it where. And I'm not sure if this is how every city is going to handle it, but here in New Orleans, you have one station getting the video coverage for the day Mm -hmm. and disseminating that to the other stations. Yep. We have this limited pool of reporters, mostly representing national organizations. And I understand Mm -hmm. that there's your partners, but the level of pointed questions is going to change the level of video is going to be based on the perspective of that reporter, that cameraman and what they feel like shooting that day. Yep. There's the, the ability to be as discerning from the outside and watch a practice, watch what happened. We're so much more dependent this season on just the words of the coaches and their staffs about the development. We're not going to have nearly as much visual comparisons to make. Yeah. No, it's going to be very, it, what I, what I said this morning when I was doing locked on saints is there are things now that are about to feel a little bit more familiar, but they're still going to be extremely different than what we're used to. It's going to feel familiar to have the players out there on the field and see some videos every now and then and get some information every now and then, particularly beginning on the 17th, but it's still very different because the perspectives are a lot more limited the perspective are going to be a lot more repetitive. You're going to know, all right, this person has that angle. This person has that angle. And that's what you're going to hear the entire way through. Um, You know, you're not going to hear as many dissenting opinions. Mm -hmm. You might hear, you know, as you would usually hear from, let's say, you know, Emmanuel Butler last year, you know, who was the big standout in camp. You had a lot of people that were talking about, he's the big standout, he's going to make it. But then you also had all the other, you know, beat writers that were also saying, okay, pump the brakes on him a little bit. Like we've seen this before. 
how does that end up shifting based upon who is present for those particular practices? Do we just get the positives as opposed to getting sort of the realistic expectation? Do we just get the positives that are, or do we just get what's being driven by the team? We've talked Mm -hmm. before about being able to control the narrative. Do we get more having to rely more upon what's coming from the narrative of the team than our own individual efforts and discerning what exactly is going on and how we see it. Right. So there's a very large, very big difference in terms of what, this is going to feel like and what this is going to look like. I mean, thankfully Saints media for the most part is great. And there are, there's good relationships there. There's good, there's good communication, but no matter what it's, uh, you know, the NFL club, regardless Mm -hmm. of what club you're talking about and the national media are going to control certain narratives and they're going to drive certain narratives. And so it's going to be, you know, it's going to take a level of diligence and an understanding and trust in your local coverage to really get an idea of what is, you know, what is going on within camp and, you know, who's standing. There's even limitations at this point based upon who's playing in what particular packages, what type of information you're allowed to share, who's playing at certain positions. There's a lot of limitations that are very different than what we're accustomed to. And certainly people will be learning that from the very beginning. I think you'll see you'll see a shift that's going to happen probably after the first week in terms of, okay, now we're understanding the rules a little bit more about what's allowed and what's not allowed. So you, you really dig in this opening week in terms of the information that you get, because it might get called down a little bit going into the second and third weeks of this training camp. And then at that point we're into sort of practice mode to where, you know, there is no media inside those practice facilities or anything to where we really get a good glimpse at what's going on. Um, yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be interesting. It's gonna be really, really interesting. And certainly the saturation is gonna be a lot different. From your side of it, do the Saints mm-hmm. Uh, you know, for the Pelicans, we've been doing these Zoom conferences after every game, you know, before we, we, all the things that we normally did are, are through Zoom. Um, and th- there's a limited number of folks who can be on the call. It was, mm-hmm. It's usually about 25 who can tune in. Um, are Have they set a schedule to do post-practice calls or is it just going to be those folks who are on site able to ask questions? They, they are continuing what they've usually done to where it's one offensive player, one defensive player following each practice. And then there's a 24-hour, the usual 24-hour requests list that you can request certain coaches and things like that within, you, you just have to do it more than 24 hours in advance. So that's pretty standard in terms of what you're used mm-hmm. to seeing on the, let's say the, you know, the Saints live stream on Twitter or something like that. So fans should still have access to that. That should still very much be a part of what's going on. Saints, the Saints media has actually been really, I'm sorry, the Saints uh, PR has been really accommodating actually, which has been really nice just in terms of being able to get in and be a part of Zoom meetings and, and everything and, and, and get gathering that the, the credentialed in-person access mm-hmm. because of the fact that that's like down to a tenth of what they usually give out. Um, they are being really accommodating in terms of the Zoom access, interview access and things like that. So that's something that I think we're certainly grateful or grateful for over at Canal Street Chronicles. Uh, but it's, you know, but it's still going to be different. It's still going to be limited. Like those post game or post practice pressers and everything like that, you're going to get a lot of individual sort of, you know, uh, perspective from each individual player. And that's great. But in terms of discerning what's going on from the team perspective, Mm -hmm. that's really where some of this coverage might be affected by the fact that, you know, if they can only credential 10 people or 30 people, 
you know, if a national team shows up from, you know, NFL network and they bring 15, you know, they bring a team of 15, then that's half of your credentials down, you know, and then all of a sudden you go from having, you know, a 10th of your credentials to a fifth of your credentials uh, in terms of your local, your usual local coverage. So it's going to be really interesting to watch and sort of see how it all plays out what gets access, who gets access and certain things like that. But, you know, most of your trusted local sources will be there in terms of like the athletic and Nick and stuff like that. But it is going to be, you know, still, you're not going to get some of the, you know, other local guys that you really like that maybe bring, you know, local people that you really like that bring, you know, a different flavor or a different Mm -hmm. perspective in terms of what the team is bringing. Yeah. You you want those competing voices in anything Mm -hmm. because, you know, we all, we're all looking for makes everybody better. Yeah, Mm -hmm. exactly. It helps everybody improve. Some folks just want the basics. Some folks want details. Some folks want a story. And and I think that you know, the more robust we are as a media, the better it is. Mm-hmm. Okay, three big things on the on the player front. I want to talk about number one is Alvin Kamara and his conversation and, and discussion of his injury last year mm-hmm. and his focus for this year. He says his knee was shredded, basically. Mm-hmm. Um. Okay, I get that. We all knew he was hurt. It was obvious to see as he played that he wasn't Alvin Kamar. Right. But mentally, there were still some things, too. And I just – I'm hoping that he is not putting the onus on I wasn't physically right because there were just decisions at times that had nothing to do with his body that were weird last year. So it feels like he's coming back with this renewed sense of focus. I'm not worried about my contract. I just want to play and do all those things. But you still have to wonder when you're coming off of an injury as a running back, a guy who takes as much pride in his body as Alvin Kamara does in his skill training, mm-hmm. how much of the mental part has he gotten over on that hurdle from having his first season with limited success? Right. Yeah. I mean, it seems like he's there in terms of what we can grasp from talking to him. But again, we don't know until he gets out on the field. And then once he gets out on the field, how much access do we actually have to witness that ahead of the season? So this is and one until of he gets hit. Right. Because we're and not going to see him get yeah, hit for a month. He's not going to get hit until week one <laughs> and everything. And so, yeah, it's going to be, it, it's, it, I think that that's going to be a big portion of it to watch. It was interesting hearing him talk about openly body language and everything, you know, in terms of how his concerns, his frustration with his injury affected his body language to the point that not only were fans saying something, which he kind of, you know, brushed on the wayside, but his teammates were saying something. You know, it was obvious. You know, yeah, it was very clear. It was very clear. And his teammates were, were starting to you know mention it. You know, I, I think back all the time to that Tennessee Titans game where he caught a pass in the flat, had nine yards ahead of him and just ran out of bounds. You know, so not only to the body language when he's on the bench or body language was he's in the facility. It was his you know, decisions that he made business decisions, as we call them, you know, on the field sometimes that were clear and obvious you know, on, on the field. And so I, I look back at all that and I wonder how much of that we're going to see after he takes his first couple of hits this season. And I think that's going to take that. I, honestly, I don't know that we're going to know until he does get hit. And then he either gathers confidence because he got hit and got back up. Right. Or he regresses back to, you know, the poor body language and the, the frustration because he gets hit and gets hurt. I think that's the only way we're going to know. And, you know, obviously we hope that he gets hit and then he gets confident, mm-hmm. you know, obviously that's what we hope, you know, it's like a, it's like a jump shooter hitting their first shot in a game, you know, in the second quarter and all of a sudden they heat up, 
you know, not something necessarily the Pelicans know much about right now, but when it comes down to, when it comes down to AK, hopefully going into this 2020 season, you know, that week one, that first hit that he takes is enough to give him the confidence of, all right, I'm going to be all right. You know, he's done some tremendous work with Dr. Sharif Tabao over at athletics training and everything. He's done some incredible work uh, over there. He has, he's put a big focus on the injured area as you usually do to where you focus not only on rehabbing the specific injury, but the muscle groups, the joints around it, you know, the muscle groups around it, the joints around it, everything. And so he's, he's obviously feeling confident going into it's kind of comforting to see him have that type of peace of mind, but then also have the peace of mind of like, I'm not worried about my contract, my agent and the team will take care of that. It's very Drew Brees approach, right? Like they'll take care of the contract and everything. Uh, but it's, it's an interesting thing. And it's, it's a good thing to see from him in the hopes that he'll be able to maintain it going into 2020 or I mean, going it through is, 2020. Essentially it is out of his hands. Yeah, I mean, you know, even if he plays him. well, it's what the market will bear. And we know that right. Ricky Loomis has a price for every player that yep. he has on a sheet. I'm not going over this number. I yep. don't care what happens. This is, this is his value to me. Yep. Um, so yeah, if you're out of Kamar to me, I would just like to see him mentally take some of that pressure off of himself. Yeah. And I understand how yeah. that happens in that offense at, on occasion, but there are enough guys to lean on that he doesn't have to – I hope he doesn't feel the pressure of looking at Christian McCaffrey doing the double-double with the 1,000-thousand right. and say, well, I've got to do that now because, I, you know, we were mentioned in the same category for three years, and now he's done this. You know, right. so I don't – I just want him to be comfortable again. And he, he yeah. looked so uncomfortable throughout last season. Yeah. And you might see the Saints take a you know, specific route early on in the season that helps him with that. You know, it's where they, they utilize him, but they don't lean on him. They don't, they don't rely on him to that level. It's where he's an intricate and an impactful part of the offense, as he always has been, but that they continue to lean on guys like Michael Thomas, Emmanuel Sanders, Jared Cook. You know, um, you get more, you know, you look at his, his split, you know, the carries that were split between he and Latavius Murray last season. 171 carries in the regular season for Alvin Kamara, 146 for Latavius Murray. But 48 of those for Latavius Murray came over the course of two games yep. against uh, Chicago and against uh, Arizona. So when you look at it without those two games and you look at a 14 game split over the two, the, the weight is 171 carries for Alvin Kamara and 98 for Latavius Murray. That's a 65, 60, 63, 39, 36 split, something like that. That's that can't happen. It can't happen. You know, you, you have another guy like Latavius Murray who has shown you he averaged over seven yards per game week one. You know, he gave you what you needed from the very beginning. Uh, I'm sorry, uh, over seven yards per carry week one. Um, he gave you what you needed immediately. And then when AK needed to miss time, he gave you what you needed. Went over uh, 100 yards in both of those games, found the end zone in both of those games. He was that guy. So lean on him a little bit early on in the season Absolutely. to allow Alvin Kamara just to catch his rhythm, catch his confidence and understand, you know, when he sees a couple of notches in the wind column over those, let's say the first quarter of the season, maybe he doesn't feel as much pressure because he has such a outstanding, you know, he's a part of such an outstanding supporting staff around Drew Brees. Yeah. I, I really would like to see them get Latavius between 12 to 15 carries every game mm-hmm. um, because then you still give an Alvin, I think, you know, um, between 10 to 12 carries, which I think mm-hmm. is, is, is optimal there. And you're trying to get him six, seven, eight touches out, out of the backfield as well, either as a receiver, you know, as a receiver. So I think if mm-hmm. 18 to 20, that's where Sean Payton has always wanted to keep him 
in those right. numbers, um, limit the touches, but increase the impact. And right. I think the best way to do that is to lean on Murray early, yep. set that physical tone with this new line, you know, with these changes you made mm-hmm. in the line, allow it to be a little bit simpler early on, let them get their feet underneath them too. Yep. You know, as, because there's an, it's going to be like you said, no training camp. It's a huge adjustment. Week yeah. one will be, you've not seen any of this. You don't know <laughs> You don't have any tape on right. this other team. You don't know what, where guys are going to come from. You don't know any of their packages. So you're the best way for to me is like, well, we know what we right. can do. Let's run the football and then see yeah. and, and allow Breeze yeah. to play off of that because we know he's smart enough to figure it out over the course of the game. Yeah. But give those yeah. other guys Another to w- me a chance to get their feet wet. Yeah, absolutely. Another way to sort of maintain Alvin Kamara's impact, but not overwork him is to lean on him later on in drives. Go back to the 2018 model where he had, you know, where he took over, I think it was 45, his 45.5% of the red zone carries mm-hmm. came from Alvin Kamara. Last year that dropped to below 40%. It was around 37. And so, and, and that was a big difference because that was four touchdowns versus 13 touchdowns or 15 touchdowns in, in the red zone. And you know? Taysom's so, getting six of those. Right. Right. Absolutely. And so, you know, you have the opportunity to use, to, to utilize Latavius Murray early on in the season, early on in the game, and also early on in drives and then lean on Alvin Kamara when you're in scoring distance a bit more, get the ball in his hands and let him create and let him do his work, you know, with a shorter field is another option that, that you have. You don't always have to lean on him on first and 10 on the 25, <laughs> you know. It's kind of the baseball approach. You want mm-hmm. your number three guy to be a contact hitter, make sure that right. they drive in uh, the guys on. And then Alvin Kamara is your home run guy. Mm-hmm. You want him to come in and be able to make big plays for you out of the yeah. backfield because that's he's the most explosive guy they have there. Um, let's move on to what is going to be very interesting, too, under these circumstances, the quarterback position, the backups. Yeah the way reps get split it gets split it gets split up <laughs> gets i did that up. earlier i said i can't remember what i said i said something like dreamt instead of dreamed <laughs> so, as these these reps get split up amongst these three quarterbacks i don't know if they go a third a third a third right you know do you do you take fewer for breeze or are you trying to make sure that he's super sharp are you with the lack of pads, are you putting these guys in three groups and saying we're going to work route trees and, and do those things? Because, again, we know how critical this is in evaluating both Taysom Hill and Jameis Winston. And we also know how vital it is in the NFL to have a backup. And this year, it could be more critical than any season in quite some time. Yeah, I saw a report the other day. I think it was from – maybe it was from Bleacher Report talking about teams potentially – quarantining their backups, a backup yes. quarterback <laughs> and everything, you know, just to make sure that they have somebody in reserve. If the, if the starting quarterback gets sick, it, it's going to be vital. You know, like you mentioned, it's going to be vital. It's going to be extremely important for, for these teams to, um, to have these guys stockpiled and ready to go, but to also have a look at them so that they know where to go. You know, the saints are kind of in that situation to where they've got two backup quarterbacks. And it's that old moniker. If you have two quarterbacks in the NFL, then you have no quarterbacks. Right. So how do you figure out which one of these guys? So you have to make sure you get a good look at them in training camp. I expect that you're going to see much like the Saints are already adjusting the practice schedule during the season to give Drew Brees a little bit more rest. I think you will see that reflected in camp as well to make sure that they get, you know, first team reps for both Jameis and for 
Taysom Hill. In fact, I believe, I believe coach Payton might've said that he might've been referring to practice during the, during the week though. I, I can't remember. I'm sorry, but um, you know, there's a lot of opportunities there for those guys, either working with first team, second team, third team, or shifting and, you know, allowing Taysom to get some work in, you know, if, if Drew Brees takes a day off, then you've got Taysom to work with the first team, Jameis work with the second team, then you can get Tommy Stevens some reps with the third team. You know, you have enough quarterbacks to continue to do that. If you do give uh, Drew Brees a rest, which is why I think Tommy Stevens made the 80 man roster, but I'm not completely, I'm still not sold on him for the 53. I'm sorry. No. I'm still not sold on him yet. Um, but he's, he's, he's a big, he could be a big piece for you right now during camp when you're still working three teams deep. So you want to give those other guys reps, but you also want to give Drew Brees rest. You can do that. Yeah. So I think that that's a little bit more what you might see. The guy who though, to, in my mind, gets hurt the most by this is Taysom Hill because he mm-hmm. needs in-game reps. Yep. Practice reps don't help him as much at this point because he just, he needs to see game situations and, the thought I prob- probably in all of our minds is if there had been a complete preseason, he would have started game one, probably mm-hmm. James game two, Breeze get his reps in in game three, and then they both get first team reps in, in the fourth preseason game. That that mm-hmm. would have been my thought going in. Taysom's not getting those reps with anybody in game situations. So I think it really impacts him. I think you have to go, if I'm Sean Payton, unless I see something amazing out of Taysom in preseason – my security thought would be I have to go with the guy who's been in these situations at least as a starter in the NFL for multiple years. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I don't care how good Taysom Hill looks in practice snaps. You only have one of those quarterbacks that's actually played, you know, a substantial amount of live games starting quarterback experience. And that just threw for over 5,000 yards. Like you only have one of those other quarterbacks on your roster. You know what I mean? Like it, it's wild to me. It's wild to me. Like I, I get it. Don't get me wrong. I get it because Sean Payton and the coaching staff and everybody is telling you Taysom is the real deal. Not that Taysom is the guy, that's just Jake Glazer, but that Taysom is the real deal and that they do view him as a starting quarterback in the NFL. But they ain't saying starting quarterback for the New Orleans Saints. They're saying he's, yeah, we see him as a starting quarterback in the NFL for certain, right? And I know that it's, it's, it's pedantic to nitpick at vocabulary selection like that, mm-hmm. but this is a team that's very, very diligent about their vocabulary selection. You heard Alex Anzalone the other day say, you know, from the defensive perspective, we don't call them turnovers, we call them takeaways because it's activating, right? They're very deliberate about the vocabulary that they use and vocabulary that they present to their teams. And so it's hard for me to say, look, Taysom Hill goes out there and throws five practice touchdowns on a day. That doesn't mean anything to me. I mean, that's great, good, awesome. Like the offense yeah, is obviously clicking with one another. Interceptions, yeah. Right, absolutely. Hello, Nathan Peterman. But, you know, it's, <laughs> it's, one, of those, it's one of those things where I can't take five practice touchdowns in a day over five years of starting – caliber play in the NFL. Like it, it, it's, it's just one of those things where it's tough to make that delineation and make that decision. It still would have been tough to make that delineation and decision against preseason competition. That's still at maybe three quarters, the speed of what NFL regular season speed is. So look, I, I don't want to downplay Taysom Hill. I know that there are a lot of people that want to see Taysom Hill as a starting quarterback in the NFL. If he's a starting quarterback for the saints next season, great. I'm down for it. I will cover it. I will write it. I will talk about it. I will enjoy watching regardless of what direction the season it'll be is. A sto- yeah, it'll, be, it'll be an experience right no now, matter as what. I look, no matter what. <laughs> um, but looking at what the Saints have right now and projecting forward, it's hard to pick Taysom Hill over Jameis Winston without live reps. Simple. 
Yeah, it's very simple. Um, the only other positions that we, we really had not talked about in the last couple of weeks, um, we had, you know, Saint, Saints fans are still, we said, look, if your, your luxury is talking about your third corner as a problem, <laughs> you're in pretty good shape. Um, the safety depth is something we have not really gone into. We've, we discussed running backs. We've discussed the, the lines, mm-hmm. linebackers. But the safety depth, bringing Malcolm Jenkins back, um, yep. losing Vaughn Bell, Safety has always been a position that, that the Saints have, have been boom or bust at. Yeah. It's, it, it either goes really well or that back end is vulnerable. Um, <laughs> Hello, Jairus. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> how, how confident are you in this group? And, um, you know, are they deep enough? I mean, they're certainly deep enough. I, I would say that. They are deep enough on paper. I'm, right, I'm making sure I'm writing down all the names mm-hmm. to make sure I don't miss anybody. Uh, but – you know, when you look at the starters in Marcus Williams and Malcolm Jenkins, that's a great tandem to have. You have Marcus Williams as your deep free safety, your deep ball free safety. You have Malcolm Jenkins as an improved communicator and, and coverage safety at the strong safety position that can also play in the box and up against the line of scrimmage, just like Von Bell did. He's not going to be as great in run support and pass rush as Von Bell was, but he gives you more in the coverage game, which if you ask me, give me more coverage. Because you look at the Saints last year, top five run defense and they were a 20th placed pass defense in terms of, of, of yardage. Right. And Alex Anceloni said to us the other day that he wants that the team's goal year in and year out is to be top five across many different aspects of, of, of the defense. They were already close. They were top three in pass rush. They were top four in, uh, in, in the run game. So improve the coverage a little bit. And it doesn't take much. If you're looking at them as a, as a, you're looking at it as a scoring defense, Three fewer touchdowns last year would have put them at 303 points against. That would have put them in a position to be a top five defense. So it would have tied them up for top five right there. They were 12th, if I remember correctly. 600 fewer yards, passing yards, however, would have put them in a top five for the passing yards. They have a lot of work to and do we, there. It's, and we know what okay. those games were. Right. It's, it's yeah, easy. You just look at San Francisco. <laughs> you go San Francisco and Seattle. You Seattle. give up 500 mm-hmm. yards to Seattle. You give up, you know, 40-something points to, to San Francisco. Yep. And the Atlanta game certainly didn't help either, Mm-mm. where even though they didn't get a ton of yardage, the point yep. differential should have never been that that oh. wide. It just oh. – it. so, though, yeah, you, you can see those opportunities. And I still, say, I still tell everybody it wasn't the San Francisco loss last year. It was the Atlanta loss. The Atlanta game was the, the most important game of the season that they lost. That was a huge loss. That was a huge that's loss. The, that's the one. That kept um, you from getting the so one. So, you, you know, you have those starters that can help you. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead, my bad. No, 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 no. Um, go ahead. Continue. Oh, okay. so starters that can help. Yeah. I'll edit it. Yeah, yeah. So, those will definitely help with that. And then, of course, have you figured out this, the last name yet? C.D. Duche? C.D. Duce? I say Ducey, but that's, Ducey, that's what I've been saying yeah, too. That's okay, what I that say makes you feel better. Cause that sounds dope. I'm all about the A sound at the end of names. I'm hundred percent down and probably my, you know, my, my Cajun heritage, but still. Um, <laughs> um, <laughs> so, um, and then you have CD Ducey who's going to play in the, in the slot as, as we expect. So that's a great core right there, starting off with your safeties, even though one of them is playing what we consider to be across the NFL as a corner position. Right. Still, you have a safety in there. And then you've got DJ Swearinger, who's a, you know, a veteran presence for a secondary that has taken a humongous change in terms yes. of being one of the youngest secondaries in the NFL to being a very experienced secondary in the NFL, adding Janoris Jenkins, Malcolm Jenkins, and DJ Swearinger into the mix. I like that because I like giving those young guys mentorship. 
you know, beforehand it was Von Bell was their major communicator who was good, but was still very, you know, was still young. He was still on his rookie deal. Um, and then you've got Saquon Hampton also still on his rookie deal coming into his uh, third, second season, a couple and of people seasons. People were, and the expectations are high for him. They are. And then you've got uh, JT Gray, who is a second team all pro special teamer. So for me, the depth is there for me. Um, and the starting talent is there. The biggest question is just going to be, do the Saints go with experience in DJ Swearinger as a part of that depth? Or do they maximize their special teams ability with guys like Saquon Hampton and JT Gray? Because that was one of the big like plus points when it came to Saquon Hampton is the fact that he said, you know, he told, uh, it was Mike Westoff at the time, I'll be honored to play special teams for the New Orleans Saints. And players don't say that. I'm sorry. No. Players do not say that. Uh, but he was coming out of Rutgers and everything and, you know, he had a great a role there. He, he wanted a job. job. <laughs> <laughs> that's the and, fastest you know, way to get on if you don't right. have – that's right. And he's an interesting prospect still too, as a, as a safety, because he played very well in the box at, uh, at his, uh, where he was. And then he also played very well as a you know, ball hawking safety as well. So he has some traits there and it's no wonder why the Saints drafted him, but if they want to maximize their, uh, their special teams ability at that position, then they might go with those two. And then DJ Swearinger is the odd man out, or they go with the veteran of DJ Swearinger, which also makes sense because of the formation of this season in particular, the way that this is all formulated. And then they move on from a guy like Saquon Hampton, for instance, and then he ends up on your practice squad and could be somebody that ends up getting called up over the season. Before we wrap up, um, what do you think the main story is going to be over the next couple of days? Is it just going to be testing this bubble, seeing how guys react to it? Um, you know, w- w- what do you think Sean Payton's initiative is going to be these first few days going into the weekend? Yeah, I think that the biggest thing for Payton is health and player safety. I think that's going to be first and foremost everything that he's concerned about, just like it has been this entire time. I don't think that that's going to change anytime soon. You know, I think he's going to be concerned about these players all the way through the season and he's going to show that concern. So this is where things get a little bit different because you're starting to see a little bit more close contact. They're wearing helmets. They're running full speed, which means masks are probably at a, a lower usage rate at this point. Now they're in motion around each other, not just standing around one another. So that's a, that my understanding is that that's a positive factor, but even still you're around these guys all the time. And now you're all of a sudden not wearing masks and all. Now you're taking tests and everything to make sure that everybody is testing negative before they come in. So it's, it's hard to expect there to be any type of a spread amongst a bunch of people that are testing negative, but we've seen false. They don't want to call them false positives anymore, but that's what they are. They're false positives. We saw it affect two different players. You know, if they're doing rapid testing, it's 70% accurate. So where is that negative? That is actually a positive going to pop up at some point, not necessarily within saints camp, but anywhere, you know, and how does that end up affecting? So I think that's going to be the biggest thing is just remaining cautious Despite the fact that they've seen success so far, how do they maintain that success is going to be at the forefront of, of, of all of this. I am so looking forward to see what the pace of camp looks like, mm-hmm. how they utilize the time, um, and how they you know try to recreate the normalcy of training camp as best they can to be prepared for a contact professional football season. This, is, this isn't how it's been done. It's just right. not. And yeah. so I think that it's, it's going, I, this is the part that is just so exciting to me is just mm-hmm. watching. You're going to, we're going to find out which staffs are the best at adjusting to a non-traditional setting. Yeah. And, and I think the saints are uniquely suited with their head coach to, to be prepared for that. 
Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I think it's going to be interesting to see which teams, you know, you start off with three and a half hours that you have available to you, 90 of which can be in helmets and, and sort of going full speed. The remainder of that time is saved for walkthroughs, but you can increase that 90 minutes by 15 minutes up to, to 120, so up to two hours. And so it'll be interesting to see if teams elected not to increase and just stick with that hour and a half because it's that much less exposure. You know, we've, we've heard that 15 minutes around somebody that is positive can be all the difference, yep. you know, less than 15 minutes can make a difference. And so it'll be interesting to see what those 15 minute chunks actually being the increment with which you can, you can elevate this time, how many teams decide. And if the saints decide, we're just going to stick to 90 minutes and then we're going to use the other two and a half, two hours for a masked up walkthrough mm-hmm. to continue to, to maintain our safety. So I think that's going to be, there, there's a lot of really exciting elements right here on the forefront as we get into uh, these big days. And we'll hear from we might get some more, some further clarification on all that as well. I'm ready. You're ready, of course. And on all the platforms that you do, please tell the folks one more time as we do. And they should know by now, but we do this. <laughs> tell them how they can follow you. And look, there are some great articles this week on Canal Street Chronicles. There's Thanks. one on Adam Troutman mm-hmm. right now that I, I recommend to everyone to yes. go read. It was it, it opened my eyes to something for a player that I was, you know, skeptical on draft day. I still yeah. want to see what he does, but the, the the information in that article was really great. Yeah, yeah, that's a fantastic one taking a look at. Let me just say how high the potential could be for Adam right. Troutman this season. Um, so go and check that out. You can also check out, I did a 53-man roster projection, which is really more of a starting place more right. than anything else. Like, who are the front runners at this moment, which is all going to change once – these players actually get out, you know, helmets, pads on the field and then get to work. So it's just a starting place for that. That'll continue to update and I'll continue to re-release those as we go through. Um, what else did I have go up? I had um, another piece go up on Nigel Bradham and the fact that he is a starting caliber linebacker and what he brings to the team in comparison at any of those linebacker positions to say AJ Klein, Kiko Alonso, Alex mm-hmm. Anzalone, any of the multiple places that he can plug into. I have a fun one coming up later on this week about Teddy Bridgewater that I'm really excited about. Uh, and then some more on the way as well. But uh, if you want to catch up with any of that, of course, you can follow me at Ross Jackson Nola on Twitter. You can check out Canal Street Chronicles. And of course, you can catch the Locked on Saints podcast every single Monday through Friday, wherever it is that you get your podcast from. Just listen to me after Grub, though. Like That's always right. come to Hard and Paint first and then come and check in with me <laughs> to get more information. <laughs> Man, I love this every week. I'm so glad we can continue to do this and i'm looking forward to next week uh, it's i'm sure we'll have some oof, a lot to talk about finally we'll have some stuff on the field to talk about but always a pleasure always man always i look forward to it again uh best to you and the family dude and stay safe thank you this has once again been the dome patrol so for ross jackson and myself david grubb um, I just want to say thank you all for listening. Don't forget to check me out as well on Twitter at DM Grub or at HITP underscore with underscore DG and on Instagram at HITP with D Grub and the website www.hitpwithdg.com. So go check those out. Continue to support the show. I've been so appreciative of, of every listener and it just continues to grow each and every week. So thank you. And this has been.